Welcome to Podcast at SDA. I'm David Bridell. This is a season devoted to exploring the plays that we are producing at USC School of Dramatic Arts 2016-2017. Before I begin, special thanks to Phil Allen and the team at the Sound and VoiceOver Studio here at the school. Sideshow is a musical by Bill Russell, who wrote the book and the lyrics, and Henry Krieger, who wrote the music, based on the lives of Daisy and Violet Hilton, conjoined twins who became famous stage performers in the 1930s. Our production of Sideshow runs from October 27th to the 30th in the MCC Theatre here on campus. Today's guest is the librettist and lyricist for Sideshow, Bill Russell. Among his stage musicals are Elegies for Angels, Punks and Raging Queens and Sideshow, which was nominated for four Tony Awards, including the Tony Award as Best Musical. Russell also wrote book and lyrics for the musical Pageant with Frank Kelly and book and lyrics for the musical Up in the Air with music by Henry Krieger, which premiered at the Kennedy Center in 2008. He wrote lyrics and book with Jeffrey Hatcher for the musical Lucky Duck, also with music by Henry Krieger, and book and lyrics for the musical The Last Smoker in America with music by Peter Melnick. That opened off-Broadway in August 2012. Hi, is that Bill? Yes. Bill, it's David here from USC. Hi. Hi, thanks so much for joining us today. Happy to. Um, as you must know, we're producing Sideshow uh, in a few weeks' time. I uh, heard that, yes. <laughs> yeah, and it's, uh, <laughs> it's my mission to track down the creators of uh, various different productions in our current season and talk about their work. So welcome to the show. Well, thank you. So um, I'm going to plunge right in, if you don't mind, and ask you uh, a standard opener. Um, what can you tell us about the genesis of Sideshow? When did the idea first come to you, and where did it come from? Uh, well, the idea came from the director of the original production, Bobby Longbottom. Okay. His uh, boyfriend had seen this terrible movie at four in the mor morning in Chicago. He was on tour with the show uh, called Chained for Life. It's okay. a movie that the, the Hilton sisters made later in their career, it's really, really terrible. But he said, you know, Russell saw this movie and it stars these real-life conjoined twins who sing and dance and play musical instruments, and I think we should write a musical about them or do a musical about them. And I immediately said, oh, yeah, that's a great idea. I just thought the theatrical possibilities of two people moving together, singing together, uh, was so theatrical and metaphorically interesting, um, I didn't hesitate at all. We didn't end up starting the writing of it until a number of years later, but that's when it came about. And did you think off the bat, you know, as soon as you heard or, or got the idea, did you think that um, uh, the two lead characters or the one lead character um, was going to give you a great opportunity for dramatic conflict and, you know, really exploring, you know, a sort of yin and yang or two sides of a personality? Or How did you... Oh, I, yes. I just thought there were so many possibilities. Um, oh. And I didn't know anything about them. Just just that little pitch. Uh, I thought, wow, there's so much here, you know, that that could be fun to play with. Yeah. And um, did you ever uh, 
delve deeply into sort of the personal research side? I mean, how much did you really get to know about them um, whilst you were plotting the musical? And how, how loyal have you been to their real story? Well, um, when we started, it was pre-internet, really. So we okay. did what, <laughs> what research we could, but this was before um, uh, the wonderful Dean Jensen biography of them called uh, The Lives and Loves of Daisy and Violet Hill uh, was published. And in fact, he contacted me sometime, uh, I forget how how the connection came about, but he contacted me and said he was writing this biography. This was around the time the show was coming to Broadway. Um, And we're sort of hoping that it could be published at the same time. Uh, It wasn't published until several years later. And that is very rich in details about their lives. But um, a friend of mine knew I had this idea. He was a producer who had produced a couple of shows. And well before we started writing it, he found in a junk shop this supposed autobiography of Daisy and Violet Hilton, which was uh, sold in connection with the premiere of Chain for Life. Hmm. And... um, and it was written in alternating paragraphs. One would be I Daisy am outgoing and exuberant, and the next one would be I Violet am shy and retiring. And that really became my major source uh, for writing the show because, uh, and it was, you know, they were hyped so much throughout their career that there was, it was always a bit difficult to discern what is fact here. But a lot of the, um, the major points of their lives were in that autobiography, and uh, and it just spoke to me emotionally. I so that really was the major source. The, you guys are doing uh, the revival version, I believe. That is correct. And, yeah. uh, that was an extensive rewrite, and that was informed by the Dean Jensen biography and other things that had come to light since the original had opened. Did that um, shift your view of the uh, of the twins when you you know delved into that biography and uh, and and embarked upon the rewrite? Did you find yourself effectively kind of creating a a different theme to the musical? Well, it uh, yeah, I, I I think the revival is actually more of, about their lives and the original was more about the showbiz aspect of their lives. So mm-hmm. it definitely, I can't say that it changed my perception of them a lot, but uh, there were a, a lot of details in the biography that uh, we ended up incorporating. Okay. So, you know, the musical itself is uh, peopled with such an extraordinary range of characters, all, you know, born of this notion of a sideshow. Um, and I guess I wonder, Bill, how much do you want an audience to sort of relish the strangeness and the difference of the characters they're perceiving um, on the one hand? And then how much do you want them to be really thinking about their own lives and their own struggles uh, as a result of watching the musical? Well, I, I hope that they will come away uh, feeling new empathy for these characters, you know, all of the, uh, the sideshow attractions. Mm. We, um, especially in the revival version, they are ba- all of those are based on real, real 
sideshow exhibits. And, um, I, I mean, I do like the strangeness and eeriness of it, um, just as a context. I, I, and I love the music that Henry wrote, you know, for the opening. Um, but I, I do hope people come away feeling, you know, people are basically the same, whatever conditions we're born with. Yeah. Is that something that, um, you found in the various productions you've seen, have there been productions that have sort of achieved your vision for the piece more effectively than others? Well, uh, both Broadway productions, you know, I, I was very, very happy with. I, I would say the revival really, um, I just loved working with Bill Condon and, and uh, he's so smart. And, uh, really, understood it i think and um that was very very satisfying i i i've seen some i've directed one production i'm going to direct a one of the revival which i've never done on this winter but um yeah i i can't say i've seen a production that i wasn't directly involved with that blew my mind <laughs> okay yeah, fair enough um i wonder uh, you know, as you follow the the lives of these uh, twins throughout the their trials and tribulations, do you have in your own mind a favorite? <laughs> that might be an odd question to ask, but do you, do you do you personally gravitate towards either Daisy or Violet in their journey? Oh, I no, I can't say. I I you know, in a way, I think they both are part of my personality. Um and um. No, I like them for different reasons. Mm -hmm. I, I I love Violet's heart and her interiorness, and I love Daisy's exuberance and showbiz uh, chutzpah. (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly what it is. (laughs) Um, So there's something that intrigues me about the whole notion behind Sideshow, which is that uh, it's theater about theater in a way. You know, there's there's a sort of motif of presentation and performance that adds a layer to the narrative and the storytelling um, uh, from the writing point of view. Is that something that you were conscious of as you created the piece? Did you enjoy the notion that, you know, that a performance is, the performance of Sideshow, the musical in front of a modern American audience is is layered with a performance of, for example, uh, the two of them in, you know, Egyptian, as Egyptian queens and so on. So we get this layering effect. Um, how much are you kind of capitalizing on or exploiting that that motif? Well, they were on stage from the time they were born. I mean, literally. You know, they did, uh, their mother abandoned them. She freaked out when she saw that they were conjoined. And the midwife took them and she owned a pub and she started displaying them in the back of the pub, charging admission for people to come back and see their connection. So they were on display their whole lives. And uh, that really interested me. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm a child of show business. <laughs> I loved uh, playing with that. Interesting. And, and what is the effect of that, uh, of that pressure on, on, on a person's life, whether we're speaking of Daisy and Violet or, or indeed, any, uh, you know, an, uh, someone living in this day and age, how do you think that that sort of affects a person's life? 
Oh, it's um, well. It, look at all the ruined children actor, child actors. Mm. I mean, you know, uh, I think it's a lot of pressure to have on you. And of course, they were just horribly exploited as children. Um, mm. uh, they never were taught anything about money. For instance, they never went to a store because Sir, who was there was appointed their legal guardian, um, felt that it undercut people wanting to pay to see them if they were out in public. So they never had any experience with money or, or really relating to people other than the sideshow of attraction, basically, until they were older. Um, and, you know, later on, they became the highest paid act in the history of vaudeville. But, of course, they had no concept of what that meant or how to spend all the money that was coming in. They were making $5,000 a week at the height of the depression. So um, that was one aspect of it. But also emotionally, I think they were, um, they didn't have figures in their lives that really cared about them. Um, other than some people they met in show business, like Houdini was friends for life, but they didn't spend that much time with him. Um, so I think that kind of scarred them. I, I do think they were scarred emotionally. Does that does that bring us close to the theme of Sideshow, you know, separate from the, the narrative and their ups and downs and their sort of lives and loves? As, as a writer, are you investigating this idea of loneliness as a result of show business as a sort of central theme? Well, as as a result of being different, and in our culture, that's manifested in in a lot of ways. Um, you know, I grew up gay in cowboy country. Um, mm. My grandparents were cattle ranchers. Everybody called my father cowboy, and I'm frequently asked, like, what drew me to this subject matter. Um, and I and I say, you know, growing up gay in that macho, hyper macho atmosphere, I felt like the biggest freak in the world. So relating to conjoined twins and sideshow attractions just wasn't a big leap for me. Um, and that feeling of difference, which a lot of people have for various reasons, um, whether it's race or, or being gay or being obese or whatever. I mean, everyone has their own freakishness, I think, or most people do. Um, that's, that's what interested me and in, in how people react to that. I think that's a beautiful statement. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, you've written several musicals with Henry Krieger. Uh, did Sideshow have any... Um, uh, unique quality to it as you created it? I mean, maybe based on what you just described or, or for any other reason, does it sort of <laughs> stick out as a unique project for you two? Well, it was our first show together. We'd never written anything together. And um, uh -huh. so part of the initial discussion were just very technical things like, do you prefer the lyric first of music? Hmm. And Henry prefers the lyric. And oddly enough, most of the composers I work with do prefer that also. Um, it's not, I don't usually write an entire lyric and then give it to him to set, but I will write a verse and a chorus and he'll 
set them and then maybe he'll write a musical bridge with top what words to. So it does go back and forth, but we do start with the, the lyrics. And then another big question initially was, I didn't want to be stuck in the 30s musically, mm-hmm. which is when the show is set. So we decided that their onstage numbers, their performance numbers would have a 30s feel, but the other stuff, the the emotional stuff, could feel more contemporary. Mm. Um, our other shows, they're all quite different. So, hmm, um, I mean, Sideshow, yeah, was unique in certain ways. It was my first... Broadway show, so that was very exciting, and yeah, I'm sure. (laughs) I'm happy you're talking a little bit about the creative process because I wanted to drill down a little bit. Um, You know, a a lyricist or a librettist is is a rare beast, and I just wondered if you could tell us a little bit about how you arrived at this, um, at you know, at this profession, and, and was it a purposeful choice, something you had dreamed of for a long time, or did it come as a consequence of a lot of exploration? Um, well, I've written uh, most of my life. I started writing poetry when I was in grade school, and um, I've, I've, I was also quite musical. I mean, ironically, Henry doesn't read music. I read music better than he does, but he wow. does you know, pulls it out of the air. It's it's incredible to me. Um, and I, in high school and college, I wrote a couple one-act plays. And then my first uh, year of college, I got this job at this resort in New Jersey who hired uh, drama and music majors because, uh, well, as waiters and maids, etc., because we did shows at night for the clientele. Hmm. And I... My second summer there, uh, Janet Hood, who I've written five musicals with now, uh, was the musical director, and I was doing these shows. And it was when Hair, the original production, was on Broadway. And I was totally taken with Hair. And every day off, I would go to New York and see it. I saw the original production seven times. Wow. Um, but I thought it might be possible to write a musical with more of a book because a rock musical. That's what always interested me. I was, I was more shaped by the Beatles and Joni Mitchell and Simon and Garfunkel than I was by musical theater, though I hmm. liked it and enjoyed it. But it, my real musical influences were from pop music, and that's always been what I was interested in doing in musical theater, was where pop music meets musical theater. So, um... I have this idea for a rock musical and Janet and I <laughs> had never written a song, let alone a musical. And she was at Oberlin and I was going to, uh, I was transferring to the university of Kansas cause I'd had a professor at my first school who was doing graduate work there. And I told him the idea for the musical and he said, well, I've got a directing slot coming up next year. I'll do your show. I've always wanted to do an original. So we had production dates before we had written a word or a note of music. <laughs> and we wrote this whole show by mail. And I think really for me, it was more about, I wanted to write songs, uh, Although I had written some one acts, but I do find writing lyrics much easier than writing books for musicals. And um, I've always just, until very recently, 
written the book sort of out of the need to do so to get my songs heard. And um, now I, I have a project where I just wrote the lyrics and I love that. <laughs> ah, <okay. laughs> because, You're relieved yeah. of the responsibility of the book. Yeah, yeah, it's so hard. I mean, I, you know, I mean, it's really thankless. I, I went through a period of, I'm now okay with it, but I, there was a period where I just felt like, you know, if a show works, everybody praises the score. If it doesn't work, everybody blames the book. So, so <laughs> that was really hard for a while, but now I'm sort of beyond it. And is I, it is, I, go ahead, sorry. No, I enjoy it when it ultimately works out, but it's hard getting there for me sometimes. Yeah, uh, of course. And, you know, the process of writing is um, is a very mysterious and, and very difficult one. I was going to ask if you notice now whether your approach to writing lyrics has changed or shifted since, uh, since you know, your earlier efforts. Um, hmm. Well, I... You know, that original show that we did in college, I I would just send Janet the lyrics and she would set them and we never reworked them. We She never questioned, like, if some of the scansion didn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so that's become, I, I've become much more technical in a way about the lyrics. And I'm much more conscious. Another part of it, because I've written poetry, I just wrote... Uh, mainly for meaning and not for sound. And as I worked more and more with singers and hearing them, I became much more conscious of that, of what words were easier to sing and sounded better. Hmm. Interesting. And is that based on uh, things like, you know, vowels and rhyme and those kind of uh, yes. things? Oh, okay. oh, yeah, yeah. Like open vowels. I mean, I never I never thought about that stuff. All I right. never thought about it being sung. I was just writing the words for their meaning and rhythm. And, you know, but singing them is a whole different thing. And I've worked with a lot of singers over the years, not just, you know, in shows. But so um, I got much better, I think, at that. Oh, I see. And have you had a model or mentor or someone that you have found to be truly inspiring as a lyricist, you know, that uh, might have been a generation ahead of you, for example, that you looked well, up to? Yeah, I, I so admire Frank Lesser. Hmm. Uh, I don't like music, but I love his lyrics. You know, I just think they're they're clever and they're, they sound great and... Um, they're not too esoteric. Um, but again, it was the pop uh, stuff, the Beatles. Eleanor Rigby was the song that made me want to write lyrics. Oh, interesting. And Joni uh, Mitchell, uh, those people really affected me more, I think, than, than like Oscar Hammerstein, who I've come to appreciate, but initially thought, oh, that's corny, or, you know, that was sort of what I was rebelling against. But right. Now I don't feel that so much. Now, it's funny you mentioned Eleanor Rigby. Um, I suppose one might argue that the combination of um, directness in the narrative, but also supported by some sense of mystery that lives underneath the narrative, actually kind of reminds me of Sideshow. Can you tell? Ah! Can you tell me more about Eleanor Rigby and wh- exactly why that made you uh, so inspired? 
Oh, I just, well, I, I loved the Beatles, but mm. that was just a revelation to me. I mean, I just thought, wow, you can do this in a lyric? You can have it say this much? And it was partly what wasn't said. You're right, mm. what was underneath it. But um, and, and that was like a one-act play to me, that song. It, it just really inspired me. Wow. So tell me, Bill, you know, I think you must have seen many musicals uh, during the course of your career. And here we are in 2016. And, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, there are certain uh, massive sensations on Broadway right now. And, uh, you know, I, the more things change, the more they stay the same, question mark. Or what do you feel about, <laughs> about the modern American musical and where things are going? Uh, well, I'm the biggest fan of Hamilton. I just think that is so brilliant and um and it's so unlikely i mean there, mm. nothing about that subject matter sings inherently you know right and yet and yet he found this way to musicalize it um it's just that is a thrilling show and gives me a lot of hope about the future of musicals that i think there's always it feels like we're in a very inventive period for them and uh, a kind of a second golden age in a way well it'll be interesting to see if that remains the case but uh, i think there's a lot of exciting young writers and lots of exciting things going on in musicals and do you have any projects that are sort of uh, in development right now that you're able to share about Oh, yeah. I have two shows that had world premieres this summer. Uh, one is a musical based on Aldous Huxley's Brave New World, which I was brought on. Uh, I was the last writer brought onto it and my first opportunity to write only lyrics. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I have loved that. Uh, that premiered in Asheville. North Carolina in uh, this spring, this last spring, and um, uh, I think it's going to have more life. And then the other show is uh, an original for which I wrote the book and lyrics with Janet Hood, who we wrote that first show back in college together. This is our fifth show together, and um, that had its world premiere on Cape Cod this summer, which was great because it's set there, and uh, it's a musical for four women three different generations of singers. They're all singers, but they all have their own unique style musically. And um, and it's partly about gay marriage. I see. Well, congratulations on both of those. And, and uh, Thank you. Let's uh, look forward to them coming soon to a theater near us. Um, <laughs> yes. That's definitely, that looks like that's going to come New York, to New York, hopefully this season. So Wonderful. called it Unexpected Joy. Wonderful. So I have one, one last question for you, Bill, because I'm uh, sitting here inside a, a drama school within a university and, of course, surrounded by um, young people who are eager to make their way in the business. And there's a very powerful cohort of students here who are fascinated by musical theater and have a great deal of talent in that respect. Many of them are inside show and there are others who are doing other projects. Um, they're here in Los Angeles, and uh, one always thinks of New York as the as the sort of epicenter of all musical theater in the United States. Do you think it's necessary and um, important that uh, 
someone should arrive in New York early on in their career if, if they're interested in musical theater? Or, or can they build something outside of the Apple? Well, I think you can. I mean, um, I'm always impressed when I go around the country and I, and I direct, I do direct in colleges frequently and mm-hmm. I, I love doing that. Um, you know, there are theater centers around the country, Chicago, the Twin Cities, Seattle, Kansas City. I mean, that are they have very active scenes and I think people can can work if not necessarily make a living, but then a lot of people don't make a living in New York and yet work fairly steadily, you know? Um, But if you really want a professional career in musical theater, I feel you have to come to New York. Mm -hmm. Um, That's where, you know, all the tours are cast here. Many of the regional theaters cast here. Um, I mean, uh, for instance, the old globe, that's, not that far from you That's right. uh, there, but they, they tend to pretty much cast in New York, I mm-hmm. think. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least they did. I, I think that's still the case. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's good to get your feet wet in a smaller market if mm-hmm. that's possible. Mm-hmm. But uh, but really, if that is what you want to do, I do feel you eventually need to come here. Okay. Well, it's a pleasure talking to you. We're, we're really thrilled with the opportunity to present Sideshow. I, I'm hearing, um, you know, tremendous enthusiasm for everyone who's involved. So um, thank you for, so, for creating I'm so it. glad. Yeah. And um, we'll stay in touch. So uh, until, all right. until soon, all the best, Bill. Thank you so much. Great to talk to you. You too. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. Bill Russell, who wrote the book and the lyrics for Sideshow, music by Henry Krieger, playing in the MCC Theatre here at the School of Dramatic Arts at the University of Southern California, October 27th through 30th. If you want to spend time with the boss, the bearded lady, the Siamese twins, the cannibal king, and others, then don't miss Sideshow uh, at the School of Dramatic Arts. Tune in for our next podcast, where we'll be exploring more aspects of our production season at the School of Dramatic Arts at USC. Podcast at SDA is a production of the USC School of Dramatic Arts. Your host is the Dean of the School of Dramatic Arts, David Bridell. Podcast at SDA is recorded, edited, and mixed by the students and faculty of the BFA Sound Design Program. Join us in two weeks for our next episode of Podcast at SDA. Step right up, right this way There is no wait, we don't waste your time So little to pay, just one thin dime Gained you admission to my auditorium